Oral questions by members? Leader of the Official Opposition. Thank you very much, uh, Mr. Speaker. On Monday, after hearing the serious concerns of childcare providers, the Minister of Childcare simply dismissed them as fear-mongering, and she claimed, and I quote, this is business as usual, end quote. Well, for Amber Lamanis of Leap Forward Childcare in the Premier's own riding, business as usual has meant 18 hours and 13 minutes of frustration waiting on the phone on hold over a two-week period as she tries to continue to serve families in British Columbia. This is what Amber had to say, and I quote, the minister's comments in question period have left me incredibly frustrated because they show no understanding of the reality for childcare providers under this government. I met all the deadlines, but this government has messed up, and as a result, I will not have the funds in my account on April the 1st, as was promised." End quote. So can the Minister of State today answer Amber's question? Why will the funds that she was promised not be in her bank account on time? Minister of State for Child Care. Thank you, Honourable Speaker, um, and I thank the opposition member for the question. We do understand the importance of receiving funds on time, and if the member opposite has a unique situation that we can look into, my office and our team are more than willing and uh, want to work with providers to make sure payments are received on time, because from my understanding, all providers who submitted complete applications have now received approval. And they have been working with providers to ensure that no timeline has been missed. And we are working on processing applications as soon as possible. And we do understand that some providers may have incomplete applications or there may be unique situations. And again, our office is more than willing to work on individual cases. And I would welcome the member to please bring the situation to us so we can look into it to make sure all providers can pass on the savings to parents that parents are counting on. And because this is a really popular program that our government has rolled out since 2018 with tens and thousands of families for the first time getting savings in their child care fees. Thank you. Leader of the Official Opposition, Supplemental. Well, thank you very much. And if it was a unique situation, we'd be happy to bring it to the Minister's attention. But what she should know by now is that it's not unique. And in fact, there are child care providers all across British Columbia who are absolutely distressed by the mess that this government has created. Let's be clear, this government had months to review the applications and it's been a disaster. Vivian runs two child care centres in the Lower Mainland. She has payroll that is due tomorrow and rent for both her facilities due on April the 1st. Childcare providers were listening to the, the minister's answers the other day, and here is what Vivian had to say to the minister's comments. And I quote, I'm beyond emotionally distressed. I have worked so hard for the past 15 years in providing safe and wonderful care and early learning programs to the community. What more documentation could I possibly provide to fulfill my nominal increase request, which would barely keep me afloat?" End quote. So the pattern continues. It's either parents of children with autism, 
families desperately trying to fill up their minivan, and now it's childcare providers in British Columbia. Their concerns simply dismissed by minister after minister and the premier. So can the minister stand up and try again? The members opposite can shake their heads, but the fact of the matter is childcare operators are distressed, angry, and upset. What is this minister going to do to fix the mess she created? Minister. Thank you, Honourable Speaker. I think we all share the same goal, to make sure that the fee reduction can be passed on to parents and to work with providers to ensure that for the first time in BC's history, parents are seeing savings in their pocket, and we have been delivering savings to parents' pockets through fee reduction program, affordable childcare benefit program, and the $10 a day size. So now thousands of families. So I do want to take this opportunity, of course, to thank all the providers who have been partnering with us to work hand in hand together. But I can assure the member opposite that, from my understanding, that no timeline has been missed. Staff have been working really Members. hard on processing individual applications, addressing individual situations. All providers that have submitted complete renewal applications have received approvals. And for those who are seeking fee increases in April, they have been offered a way to be granted temporary approval so parents can continue to have savings. And from my understanding that the vast majority of pro uh, providers that have offered a way to receive temporary approval have been accepted that approval. So we are working hard with providers. And if the member opposite has an individual case that uh, she would like us to look into, we're more than happy to look into it and work on those applications. And I hope the member opposite, instead of creating unnecessary fear for parents and providers, that's work together to make childcare more affordable for families. Okay, members, let's, let's get to the next question. Member for Surrey White Rock. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Well, the latest attack on child care providers is no surprise. And we've seen that through the Minister's own decision note, where I say, and I quote, make these spaces unviable, end quote. That is the words in the Minister's decision note. Exactly right. And there's consequences. There's consequences for people like Angela Lutke, a single mom of two children with autism. She also owns Bouncing Babies and Toddling Tots in Coquitlam. And despite the minister's claim, Angela's application, which doesn't include an increase, has not yet been approved. Yesterday, she wrote to us to say, and I quote, I have eight families who have been advised their April payment has gone up due to the lack of CCFRI approval. The NDP government is slapping me with the autism funding fiasco as well as attacking my business and livelihood on every front, end quote. Can the minister tell Angela and the families that rely on her childcare center why she is actively making private childcare spaces unviable? Member, Minister of State for Childcare. Thank you so much, Honourable Speaker. I want to assure the member again that all providers who have submitted complete applications have received approval. And for those who are seeking fee increases in April, 
that they're being offered a way to have temporary approval so parents can continue to have savings. And if providers have incomplete applications, staff are working really hard, hand in hand with providers, to ensure that there's stability for providers and parents. And we will continue to look into all those cases to make sure there's stability. And for the past few years, the fee reduction program has been really popular, and we really want to thank all the providers. The over 93% of providers partnering with us to deliver savings to parents in first time in BCC Street. And we have so many providers who have been providing good feedback to us, and we would like to thank them again. And if there, the member has. I know the member is shaking their hands, but we have been working hard to deliver $10 a day childcare, affordable childcare, to bring down the cost of childcare for BC families for the past few years. Thank you. Member for Surrey White Rock Supplemental. Thank you. And the words of the minister just basically call out the credibility of a childcare provider. Mm -hmm. The minister just said, said it's not true. Those were the minister's words, and we can go back and answer it and check, but those were the minister's words. But she said the, the person that we just referenced, Angela Lutke, is not accurate in her assessment. This minister has taken every opportunity to frustrate private childcare operators and put them out of business. And that strategy was detailed in her own decision note. Yet she stands here and dismisses the legitimate concerns of hundreds of actual providers who are anxious, upset, and concerned for the families that rely on them. There are operators across this province facing the same thing, including Robert and Heather Southam in Kelowna and Jen Ratcliffe from Pebble Lane Early, Early Learning Centre in my riding. Why is this minister continuing to dismantle these centres that families need and rely on? Minister. Thank you so much, Honourable Speaker. Again and again, that our government has been working hard to lower parent fees through fee reduction program, affordable childcare benefit program, and the 10 a day site. The fee reduction program has been a great success with 93% of providers joining in this program, lowering parent fees for the first time in BC history. We definitely have a lot more work to do, and we're continuing to learn. How do we build a new social program, a core services that families can count on for generations to come? And we will continue to do that and continue to, I'm happy to look into the opposition member's case, to look into individual situations where there could be need, support needed for their applications, or maybe the provider may have a question. We're more than happy to connect. Please, I would, instead of hackling me, I would welcome the member to bring forward the cases. I hope the member opposite... Members. Members, order members. Members, minister will continue. I believe we all share the same goals, honorable speaker. The reason for us, our government, to roll out the Child Care BC plan in 2018 is because parents have been struggling in this province for many, many years with the lack of affordable child care, lack of access. Under your previous watch. reason why we have the fee reduction program and again no deadline has been being missed 
Staff are working really hard to process applications, and we will make sure. And I welcome the member opposite to bring forward the situation so we can look into them individually and ensure parents continue to have the savings. Thank you. Member for Sandwich North and Island. Yeah, thank you, Mr. Speaker. Uh, Mark Ruffalo and more than uh, 65 celebrities launched a campaign calling on their bank, a subsidiary of uh, RBC, uh, to stop financing the coastal gas link pipeline. Well, the Premier celebrated the uh, final investment decision of foreign investors on the LNG Canada project. Uh, he told Ruffalo and friends uh, that uh, their public thoughts uh, on their final investment decision was unwelcome. Premier dismisses uh, the celebrities as lacking a full, uh, quote, understanding on the impact on Indigenous peoples and the impact on our climate, end quote. I'm concerned that, uh, that this BCNDP government is unwilling to understand the human and environmental impacts of LNG. The National Inquiry on Missing and Murdered Indigenous Women found that man camps and resource extractive industries directly cause increased violence against Indigenous women girls, and two-spirit people. Scientific studies have demonstrated birth defects, cancers, and asthma among communities neighboring fracking sites. In addition to the varied impacts on wildlife populations, ongoing deforestation, and water pollution, methane is 28 times more potent by weight than carbon dioxide, meaning gases leaked from LNG production are more highly polluting than coal. Through you, Mr. Speaker, my question is to the Premier. How can he justify funding and subsidizing LNG infrastructure, knowing full well LNG's violations of human, environmental, and Indigenous rights? Minister of Energy and Mines. Thank you. Thank you very much, Mr. Speaker. I'm not the Minister of Energy for nothing, I suppose. Uh, um, so thank you very much to the member for the question. Uh, it really does raise some uh, important points about the LNG development here in, in British Columbia. And we secured, our government secured, the biggest private sector investment in LNG in the history of the country. That, uh, that development... Uh, is following and meeting uh, environmental standards Members, of the very let's hear highest the answer, quality, please. whether it's the, the uh, liquefaction plant in Kitimat or whether it's the pipeline, uh, the highest uh, environmental standards are being met as this project moves forward. It's, uh, it's due to be completed uh, in the, at the end of 2024. Uh, it's, a, it's a project of which uh, most of the people of British Columbia uh, support and are very proud. Member for Saanich Northern Island, supplemental. Members. It's stunning, actually. I asked about the impact of... I asked about the impact of the LNG industry on the, the missing and murdered Indigenous women saying that, that, that the man camps and resource extractive industries have a dramatic impact uh, on Indigenous women, girls and two-spirit people 
and the minister stands up and says that he's celebrating the biggest investment, like just on a day that we've just put the national action plan or the provincial action plan in place, we're just going to just going to ignore it. We're just moving, we're just plow right along. BC NDP can plug a, pl uh, flood us with the uh, rosy rhetoric of reconciliation and consultation, Mr. Speaker. But the fact that their government leverages the divide-and-conquer tactics used by all Crown governments in this country, policy grounded in a very racist Indian Act, they can promise a transition to clean, environmentally sustainable energy, but the fact is, is that the NDP continue to pad the pockets of the oil and gas industry, $1.3 billion last year. Last year, BC witnessed a sample of the climate-related disasters that will be the norm if we don't act to prevent climate change. Yet, while floodwaters rose, this BC NDP Minister of Public Safety approved yet another RCMP raid on the Coastal GasLink pipeline route. More money, more time, more effort invested in the conflict that this government created rather than using the diplomatic process that they have entirely abandoned. Through you, Mr. Speaker, how does the Minister of Public Safety reconcile diverting police resources away from responding to a climate disaster to agitate Indigenous people protecting their land from this pipeline? Minister of Public Safety. Thank you, uh, Honourable Speaker. And I note the, uh, the member had a number of questions uh, in, his, uh, in, his, in his question. Uh, first, I just want to make the observation that, as the Premier said, uh, we'll make our own decisions in this province about how we develop our, our, our natural resources in consultation with Indigenous communities, with local governments, uh, the federal government, as opposed to listening to, um, you know, uh, somebody down in Los Angeles who's a celebrity and somehow thinks because they've made a movie and have millions of dollars that, that somehow gives them the, the, the ability to influence how we do things here in this province. And I will also say this, Honourable Speaker, that when it, comes to, when it comes to the rule of law in this province, that when there is an injunction, a court-ordered injunction, that is granted by a court of this province, the RCMP have a responsibility to ensure that injunction is enforced. And that's exactly what took place. And part of that, part of that, Honourable Member, is that when they request because it is a small detachment that may need additional resources. It is my responsibility as Solicitor General to ensure that they have those resources to deal with an injunction that a court, an independent court, said needed to be enforced. And in terms, and in terms of the ability of the RCMP to do that, and at the same time to respond to emergencies in this province, wherever they are, they have the ability, the resources to do so, and that is exactly what they did. Member for Skeena. Uh, thank you, Mr. Speaker. And, and it's talking about the law being enforced. It's quite timely, quite relevant, because the people of Terrace are worried, so much so that the mayor and council have flown down here to be with us today to meet with government over the level of violence in town that's not only affecting terrorists, but the constituency of Skeena, because terrorists is a hub of our region. Council has also dropped a resolution that reads, in terrorists, and I quote, in terrorists, as well as other communities across the province, individuals are often arrested for crimes like theft and property damage, 
but the Crown does not lay charges citing it is not in the public interest to prosecute. Offenders of these crimes repeat their actions and businesses, workers and the public are victimized as a result." End quote. The Council, the terrorist community, the residents of Askina, the residents of BC, everyone wants to know why it's not in the public interest to charge these repeat offenders. So, so the question is simple to the Minister. Why not? Attorney General. Thank you, Mr. Chair. I've, uh, I've seen the Mayor's uh, comments in the media and I can advise the member that uh, I asked our Regional Crown Council uh, for the North, Lori Stevens, uh, to meet with the Mayor and to go over statistics from Crown Council to reassure the Mayor uh, and the people of Terrace and the member and anyone else who's concerned about uh, the record of Crown Council and what's happening in uh, the city of Terrace. Uh, I'm happy to read into the record uh, uh, some of this, uh, but uh, suffice it to say that the vast majority of uh, charge assessments are completed within 30 days, uh, that on report to Crown Councils received by Crown Council uh, over the last two years, uh, 1,716 were received from police, 1,257 were approved to court, uh, only 339 of those were no charge decisions, the rest were either alternative measures, uh, returned to police for more investigation, or are currently in progress. Member for Skina, supplemental. Uh, thank you, Mr. Speaker. And, and you know what? That's precisely the problem. This government is acting like there's no problem. When there is problems being cited by mayor and councils all across BC, there, there would be no other reason for the mayor and council to be sitting in the gallery today to actually bring this to light. And that, that answer that was just given by the Attorney General doesn't give any comfort to the people and terrorists or in our communities across BC who are facing this violence every day, who are being attacked. I have a letter from the Chief of Kitsum Kalem, the Chief Counselor of Kitsum Kalem, saying that he is concerned about his community becoming a lawless land and that it's unsafe to go downtown at night, especially for women. The terrorist, the terrorist downtown improvement area society is also concerned, and I quote, why are there no consequences of substance for people who attack businesses? And the answer is that the Crown Council will not support the RCMPU charges, end quote. Our communities are doing its part to assist those who are struggling with mental health, addiction, and homelessness. But my constituents, and dare I say, the people of British Columbia, need to know that the government is going to do their part too. So my question again to the minister, what will it take for the province to stop the catch and release program and give communities security from prolific offenders? Attorney General. Uh, thank you, Mr. Chair. Well, a couple of pieces. One is Crown Council work within a framework set up by the federal government under the criminal code. The member knows that. They're bound by Supreme Court of Canada decisions that interpret that federal law. So the first step, I would think, uh, if the member is concerned about the state of the criminal law, is to approach uh, his member of parliament. The second piece is that the uh, allegations the member is making, the anecdotes that he is delivering, are not uh, backed up by the statistics. The vast majority of RCC's reports to Crown Council are being approved by Crown Council. They're going to court. Now there member, is members. Now the, the member who doesn't believe in climate change is shouting at me. Okay, but the the so the that's, there's evidence for that too. There's evidence for that too. Members, I'm not surprised he has a problem with facts. Member, now now I'm not saying there's not an issue with 
there's not an issue. Members, members, I'm not please. saying there's not an issue with potentially with violence in the streets of Terrace. I'm not saying that at all. But I'm saying when those charges, when those investigations are completed by police, they're brought to count council, they're being approved, they're going to court. And so there may be issues with the criminal law being applied uh, by the court. As I say, that's federal jurisdiction. That's an important issue. Let's talk about that with the federal government. But to blame Crown Council for the state of the federal law, Supreme Court of Canada decisions, that's a different story. We're also working on mental health and addiction issues that are often conflated with these uh, problems. And so with our complex care housing, with supportive housing, and in fact, I'm, I'm happy to say we've actually reduced the number of people who are street homeless and terrorists. The last count was 96. The current count was 74. So we're seeing progress on these kinds of issues in the community. We've got more work to do. I'm happy to work with the member and the mayor on that. Member for Vancouver, Langara. Mr. Speaker, day after day, the powdering continues. This week, it was an 18-year-old exchange student who was randomly attacked in Vancouver. Despite the government's claims to be providing support, there is no wraparound care today to prevent these attacks from happening. When we raised the lack of wraparound supports three years ago, the now finance minister claimed we were misleading the public. But the deputy chief of the Vancouver police disagrees. And I quote, people are saying we've got wraparound care. Well, no you don't. At three in the morning, that wraparound care is a 24-year-old desk clerk who's dealing with someone screaming and yelling in his or her room, end quote. Why has the NDP delayed providing real wraparound supports for so long while people face random violence every day on our streets? Minister of Mental Health and Addictions. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Uh, I appreciate the member's question. I want to say up front that it's very important for all of us not to conflate violence with mental illness or addiction. Uh, it's very important that we not further stigmatize people that are leaving with, living with extremely complex challenges. Uh, and so that said, um, I share the member's concern about, um, about reports of violent attacks in our community. And of course, I share the concern about people that have fallen through the cracks, have been made marginalized in our province, um, who have lived without supports for far too long. And we are pulling uh, the province out of a hole, adding services on mental health and addictions almost every week. Uh, but with the rising tide, the pressures of increased mental health, mental isolation, increased toxicity of the drugs, it is honestly a rising tide and means we just have to double our efforts and work that much harder. We are investing in this year's budget $164 million into complex care housing. That, when it is fully implemented, will provide wraparound supports for the people with the most complex needs, 500 people. Um, we've, we've got, I think actually today, the first people moving in to uh, complex care housing in Surrey. Um, in the coming weeks and months, uh, two sites in Vancouver, another in Abbotsford, um, and more that we announced in the interior last week and uh, in the Victoria Capital region the week before. Uh, we are um, working hard to build those wraparound supports and appreciate the members' uh, support for those efforts. Member for Vancouver, Langara, supplemental. Mr. Speaker, people need to know that they can get home safely and live in their own neighborhoods without fear of random attacks. Whether it's Yale Town, Chinatown, 
the West End, the Granville Entertainment District, the Downtown East Side, and East Vancouver. We need wraparound supports and housing, but it's clear that the NDP have not been providing them. We have no reason to trust this government that claims providing a cup of tea as wraparound supports. The Attorney General promised complex Clare housing would, and I quote, interrupt this rotating door of the criminal justice system, end quote. But the Minister of Mental Health and Addictions has already admitted complex care housing is not being staffed. And I quote, we're going to be particularly challenged to deliver the service in a multitude of ways, end quote. After five years, with things getting worse and not better, why has the NDP failed to provide the wraparound supports that we have repeatedly called for? Minister of Mental Health and Addictions. Uh, thank you, Mr. Speaker. Uh, there is not a single complex care housing bed that will, not, that will be opened in the province that is not fully staffed by a range of professionals. Addiction care workers, social workers, peer workers, nurses. Uh, there is no way that uh, with uh, the whole that this um, province is and, and with the, the very difficult life that people with complex needs, um, untreated mental health and addictions, often acquired brain injury, often living with um, long-term and unresolved trauma, that we as a government on this side would leave these people without professional care. The member alludes to the fact that yes, historically the province had not trained up enough nurses and community care workers. The Minister of, of Advanced Education and, and others on this side of the house are doing that work, adding more beds to bring more people in. And we've also, we're the first province in Canada to approve a peer worker curriculum and standards of practice so that health authorities and other agencies can have the confidence about drawing on the experience of people with lived experience. But our investment in this year's budget of $164 million, we've already uh, targeted and, and are in the course right now of opening uh, 100 complex care housing beds. We've announced another 100. They will be open um, in this year and they will be fully staffed by professional caring people, giving people who have been made marginalized the care that they deserved years ago and under this government they're going to get it. Member for Kelowna Mission. Thank you very much, Honourable Speaker. And with all due respect, Mr. Speaker, that minister's comments were really uh, all hat, no cattle. The rising crime rate is being felt in Terrace, Vancouver, and Kelowna. Kelowna RCMP Superintendent Kara Triance says far too many resources are being used up re-arresting prolific offenders. And this is after Kelowna has actually spent years planning and years begging this NDP government for complex care housing. But this government has only offered, oh, funding for more planning, while people are worried about random attacks today and every day. And really, it's no surprise, because the Minister of Finance thought that wraparound supports meant sharing a cup of tea. And I quote, if someone wakes me up in the middle of the night and they're feeling distressed, there's someone on site who will sit down and have a cup of tea. To me, that is support. And that is what it means to be in supportive housing, end quote. Well, unfortunately, having a cup of tea hasn't fixed the problem 
of repeat offenders being quickly released onto the streets of Kelowna. While people are desperately waiting for complex care, why won't the NDP prosecute the repeat offenders that are hurting people today? Sure. <clears throat> we had a, a really unusual situation where um, uh, Kelowna RCMP went to Kelowna City Council and said that 78% uh, of charges sent to the BC Prosecution Service had not been assessed, and the total number of charges awaiting approval were nearly 80%. Uh, unfortunately, uh, we reached the point where the prosecution service, they're independent of uh, me. Uh, they issued their own media statement, quote, these statements are grossly inaccurate and they unjustifiably cast doubt on the professionalism and effectiveness of hardworking Crown Council. There is no Crown charge assessment backlog and this is not an issue of differences in systems or tracking. The simple fact is the overwhelming majority, it's 97% plus, the overwhelming majority of the reports to Crown Council we received from the Kelowna RCMP in 2021 were assessed by Crown Council within 30 days or fewer of being received and have been approved and are currently pending before the court awaiting disposition, trial or sentencing. A small number, approximately 120 in total, are either awaiting assessment by Crown Council or have been returned to the police for further information or follow-up. The bell ends the caution period.